Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This month I am joined by Katie Smith, the Vice President of Ethics at Assurance. Over this four-part podcast series, we take a look at why a liberal arts degree and not a JD make a successful CECO, how today's compliance professional can help the next generation of compliance professionals going forward. In episode three, we take up the difficult question of when is it time to move on? And in our closing and final episode, episode four, we take a look at personal lessons from COVID-19 for compliance professionals. This is a fascinating series. You will learn a lot and enjoy it quite a bit. Katie is well known within the compliance profession, having been the CECO at Conversant before she moved over to Assurance. And she's got a lot of insights from her 20 years plus in the compliance profession. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back with Katie Smith, the Vice President of Ethics at Assurance for our continued conversation on her journey uh, through uh, to the SECO seat in this month's Compliance Life. Katie, first of all, welcome back. Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me. Katie, we uh, started uh, or touched on this in episode one, but I wanted to maybe see if we can expand and fill fill out uh, this next topic, which I think uh, is always interesting, which is how has the ethics and compliance profession evolved since you entered the field? It has drastically changed. When I first entered the field, I'd go to a conference and I'd look across the conference ballroom space and see just a few individuals that were earlier in their career like me at the time. Um, Since then, I've seen the field evolve and exponentially expand. Um, We have growing teams and, and with that, we have the opportunity to Um, embrace diversity within our ethics and compliance teams um, by adding additional roles um, that's bringing in that younger generation um, to to start out within ethics and compliance. Katie, in the, um, we also touched on the evolution of corporate compliance programs. And I was wondering if you might be able to give a few more thoughts on moving Uh, in many ways from the paper program that we had in the last decade to the types of programs we had in the first half of this decade and and how uh, you see it even changing now in the 2020s? I think one of the the big things that stands out in my mind is um, even just a few years ago, we were conditioned to think that a code of conduct was a 70 page PDF that 
um, and many of us still even printed and and mailed out to employees. Um, and I've seen organizations really evolving even just the last few years and building an interactive code that has data analytics attached to it um, so that we can use the code as the canary in the coal mine to see where employee traffic is going, where interests are, where there's a need for more clarity or guidance. And that can help us shape how we, what we're training and communicating on and how we do it. Because our our teams are evolving. We have, and especially now in, in 2020, where most of us have um, almost, if not all employees working remote. So we have to find new ways to engage and, and continue to communicate with our employees. You know, the Department of Justice, um, they published new guidance earlier this year and, you know, they're not giving organizations a pass because of COVID. Um, you know, we, we still have to figure out how, how to engage and communicate and train um, on the associated risk for our organization, regardless of what where employees are situated. Katie, the um, uh, and, and I'm glad you brought up COVID because I wanted to maybe uh, take a, a little bit deeper dive into uh, where you were one year ago and maybe where you are now and where you may be in in a year in terms of how are you keeping employees engaged? How are you able to continue that not only ongoing communication with your employee base that is working from home, but how can you maintain compliance program integrity uh, in the age of coronavirus? That's that's a really good question. So from a from an awareness and training perspective, we've we've tried to get really creative. Um, so recently, we published an article on our intranet that was a picture of um, a work from home workspace with a number of of compliance um, risks. Um, and, and it was a it was a fun little picture where we had a we had a contest for employees to to identify the the different compliance risks. Um, you know, two years ago we would have done that. You know, I've I've seen that picture on um, Broadcat's blog and you know a couple couple of other places where where organizations have done that. And two years ago we would have done it in the work um, in the office space, but we had to pivot and think about what kind of risks our employees are facing now that they're working from home because it's a completely different landscape. Some of our employees have never worked from home before. So we had so it's not muscle memory for them to be identifying what kind of risks um, are inherent if they get up and, and walk away from their computer to go get a glass of water. Well, if there's other people in their in their um, in their household, they could be they could be show, uh, accidentally showing um, very confidential client information, and you know, it's not something you know if. If we were back in the office, they'd, they'd know to lock their computer before they stepped away. It's not necessarily something they think about when they're working from home. I think that's, that's one example. Um, we've also looked at, um, we've partnered with internal audit to think about um, identifying fraud. You know, we know that fraud has a longer tail. You should, sometimes it takes up to 18 months for fraud to appear. 
um, because employees aren't in the office, we have to be mindful of, um, you know, there's, we don't have that additional control of employees seeing other employees and what they're doing or not doing. So um, our audit team sent out a survey to identify other other risk areas related to fraud in this work from home environment, um, because that's something that that we needed to explore and identify if there were other risks that we weren't thinking of. Um, so definitely from a, we've tried to think differently. Um, we're still doing a lot of um, like digital billboards and things like that, but we're really trying to, to think um, from a, from an engagement and communication perspective, how we can do it virtually. Um, so um, we've started putting uh, content on our Yammer, which is our internal social media. And um, like we just published one last week on the risks of um, things to think about when you're getting involved in the political um, political conversation and how to do that appropriately at work. So we're still trying to be mindful of the, the risks in the office right now, um, but just thinking about how we can do it differently since we're all remote. Let me change the focus just a little bit because I really wanted to visit with you on the following topic and how COVID-19 has impacted that. And that's the next generation of compliance professionals. So one thing that obviously comes to my mind is someone coming into the profession, uh, they could go to a conference and they could uh, attend sessions and, and certainly garner CPE or CLE or just educational units and credits, but also engagement. They would have the opportunity to meet and visit with other compliance practitioners, meet and visit with vendors, develop relationships with people literally across the spectrum in the compliance profession, whether they be people like yourself uh, who sit in the chair, people like myself, a commentator or a vendor. Um, how can, I guess, the, the people coming into the profession now uh, really uh, move forward and move up? And then as part two, how can people like you and me help facilitate that? That's actually a really good question. Um, and one thing that, that I always talk about, especially from the ethics side of the house, is trying to be mindful of ensuring that you have a diverse team within the ethics space um, that's reflective of your larger organization. Um, and that's, that's all kinds of diversity and inclusion aspects. Um, and, and age is one of those things. And, um, I, we've, I've seen organizations and I've done it myself in, in, at prior um, companies where we created a position specifically focused on internal marketing and communication initiatives um, because that's something that's so critical to an ethics and compliance program. And we targeted someone that, um, we targeted candidates that had very strong social media presence because we wanted to learn from them on how to how to improve that and engage with our, the very diverse workforce that we had. Um, because at the end of the day, what we're training on, what policies we're creating, um, and how we're communicating has to resonate with the employee population. And if we all 
um, look the same, sound the same, have the same backgrounds, then we're very limited and, and our message may fall flat. And at the end of the day, we've got to, we've got to connect with employees so that, so that the message rings true to them. Um, I've, I'm a big proponent of organizations thinking about how to bring younger talent into the ethics and compliance space. I think we're a little bit behind than some other fields. HR does a great job of that. They create positions that, that someone that's fresh out of college can step into and grow within the field. It's harder for ethics and compliance because we have, um, we generally have small teams and we have to um, make the most of that headcount. So we, we tend to hire um, seasoned individuals that have very specific skill sets um, so that they can kind of be a jack of all trades and we get the most bang for our buck um, because we have such small teams. The unfortunate thing is um, those are usually higher level positions. So we don't, we, we may um, only have one lower level position, but that may not even be enough to get someone in, in to be able to start in from when they graduate from college. Um, I get calls on a regular basis from recent graduates or um, students that are about to graduate. And some have even taken, um, have degrees in ethics and compliance now. And they're looking to, to jump right into the career because it's exciting and there are so many opportunities, but they don't have the two to three, ex two to three years experience uh, to get in the door. And I think that's where our opportunity is from an uh, ethics and compliance practitioner perspective is look for ways that we can engage those, those uh, employees that are newer to the workforce. And it can be something as an internship that gives uh, folks more um, hands-on experience. Uh, rotational programs are great. I've seen that work really well where you, you bring in someone that, that was hired in from another part of the company and apologize about my dogs. <laughs> um, or, or if you have the ability to create an, an analyst level position. Um, another thing that I've seen that's worked really well is um, when there's a project, um, a big project, like um, say you're launching a new helpline or, or something else that takes a lot of hands and feet, you don't necessarily need to have specific ethics and compliance experience. Um, go outside of your ENC um, team and, and pull high-performing um, rising stars within, your, within the larger organization to come help on that team. It gives them exposure uh, to ethics and compliance, gives them some experience, plus it gives you a, a chance to try before you buy and see if there's, there's an individual that, that could uh, work out as, as someone um, that you hadn't thought of for a position. Well, Katie, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I uh, greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. All right. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you will join me again next week where I have Katie back for another episode on her journey to the CCO role and sitting in the CCO chair. I'm very excited about another 
special podcast series on the Compliance Podcast Network, where I'm joined by Mikhail Ryder-Gordon, Managing Director at Affiliated Monitors, where we take a deep dive into the Wirecard case. We're up to 10 episodes. Check it out on the FCPA Compliance Report and Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.